0: Standing proudly at the north entrance of the world's first national park sits an arch, rising 50 feet high and constructed with hundreds of tons of stone. This structure can be spotted from miles away. It serves as the gateway to Yellowstone National Park, but its inscription holds true to all parks, for the benefit and enjoyment of the people. People, hundreds of thousands of us pass under this arch, and drive through the gates of national parks around the globe, eagerly anticipating the natural wonders that lie beyond them. But what about the people behind the scenes? The people who keep us safe, haze bears, guide us to the best trails, arrange educational displays in the visitor center, or present ranger talks. In this special segment of National Park After Dark, we speak to the people under the flat brims of the Stensons who have lent their skills, passions, and careers to the National Park Service, and in turn, to all of us. Welcome to People of the Parks. Welcome everyone to our second People of the Parks episode. Our second ever. We're so excited to introduce and have this as a part of our show because we get to bring something a little bit different to all of you. And then... We also get to do some more fun stuff on our end. And this week we have a very, very special guest. Yes. It's so nice to have
1: people telling us stories. Yeah. And learning from people instead of I love spreading what we learn through our research for every episode, but it's so nice to have to sit down with the best of the best in the field and people who have such experience within the parks firsthand. It's incredible. And we really wanted to make a segment that we can have those conversations, but also share them with everybody else.
0: There's just something that's so different from actually researching it and going through books and stuff like that to actually talking to people who have real life experience And that's what we're doing today. We are talking to someone who has real-life experience within the national parks. This former
1: ranger spent over a decade working for the Park Service in roles ranging from law enforcement, district ranger, criminal investigator, firefighter, and in search and
0: rescue. Her career might sound astounding, but her outdoor achievements are just as extraordinary. Her feats include through hiking the entire 2,200-mile 2, length of the Appalachian Trail, kayaking from Miami to Key West, cycling from Fairbanks to the Arctic Ocean, and being the very first to mountain bike the 800-mile Arizona Trail from Utah to Mexico.
1: Along with her outdoor accomplishments, she is also an accomplished writer. With four books under her belt and one on the way, she shares her experiences with the world through award-winning literary works including Ranger Confidential, Living, Working, and Dying in the National Parks. Please welcome Andrea Langford. <laughs> Andrea Langford, thank you so very much for joining us. Welcome to National Park After Dark.
2: Thanks. I'm glad to be on your show.
0: Yeah, we're really, really excited to have you with us today. We both read your book, Ranger Confidential, and we loved it, and we loved all the points that you had on there, so we're really excited that you came on to talk to us today.
2: Good. I'm so glad you liked the book. I worked hard on it.
1: I know it's one of many, but this is definitely the one book that people send us over and over We have a lot of, you have a lot of fans within our audience. So thank you again for coming on. And um, we're obviously familiar with your background via reading your book and reading up on you. But just for our audience, can you please take us back a little bit? And obviously right now you had a very accomplished career within the National Park Service. But take us back to the beginning. What inspired you? How'd you get into the Park Service? Just elaborate on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, well, when I was young, uh, I I grew up in Tennessee, and my dad was a big hiker, so he took us hiking all the time, even when we were little and didn't want to go, he would take (laughs) us, and so through that experience, that's how I kind of got hooked on the outdoors, and then as I got older, I knew I wanted to work in the outdoors, so I went to the University of Tennessee and got a degree in forestry and wildlife management. I did not picture that I would be a law enforcement officer, but I had a boyfriend that got a job with the National Park Service, and he said, if we go to this little training, this six-week training, we can be federal cops. We can be park rangers. I said, well, that sounds fun. It was you know, during the recession back then, and I didn't have a good job yet after I graduated from college. So I got a seasonal job at Cape Hatteras National Seashore, and I was immediately hooked um probably I blame the sea turtles you know when I was helping the nest sea turtle nesting and protecting those nests from the predators and vehicles and that's when I fell in love with being a park ranger and the mission and the mission of a park ranger a law enforcement ranger is protect the people from the park the park from the people and the people from themselves so a park ranger is caught in between all of that a lot to balance for sure and we've certainly seen that in a
0: lot of our stories that we cover um, a lot of the stuff that park rangers have to deal with especially protecting people from the parks and people from themselves for sure
1: and I love that you bring up the sea turtles because I loved that part in in your book I think everybody can kind of pinpoint their moment that changed the trajectory of their lives and inspired them in some way and I love that yours were, were sea turtles yeah
2: I love them
0: Obviously, you got into the Park Service and you loved it. What were some of the challenges that you faced once you joined?
2: Well, right away, uh, being a law enforcement officer in a remote area without backup for an underfunded agency, right away, it was exciting, but also a little scary, you know, pulling over cars late at night, not knowing what the person was up to and what their intentions were, then later, as I moved to Western parks, I went to Zion and Yosemite and Grand Canyon. Those big parks were threatening themselves, and I was—I uh, mm-hmm. recovered more bodies than I can count. And so I got to see up close, you know, what nature's wrath could do to a human body. And as much as I loved the outdoors and and loved the thrill of it, I was also in my face how dangerous it could be. Right. Yeah.
0: and that's one thing that because you have a extensive background in the outdoors, despite having all of these things that you've seen up close and personal, seeing all these tragedies and what nature does do. And it's incredible that you worked. How long were you in the park service for?
2: I worked for the National Park Service for 12 years. Wow. That's a long time. Before I left. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of being a park ranger is, it's almost like a You're worshiping a a fearsome God in a way, you know, because the park is part of your religion. It doesn't matter what religion you have, but you still, it's your temple, it's your church. And so you really love it, but sometimes you're scared of it because you've seen it hurt people. Sometimes it hurts you if you have an accident. So it's a, people will ask me, what's your favorite park? And I'll say, "Well, it's Grand Canyon, but it's a love-hate relationship, right? I know that you said that you worked in
1: Zion and Yosemite and Cape Hatteras, and all of those places, I'm sure, brought vastly unique situations and experiences and lessons learned. But there's one thing that we really noticed throughout your book that we really enjoyed. It was a threadline of your experience as a woman. In the national park system. We found that very interesting, because as women and living a woman experience, we can only imagine like I remember you were bringing up, you got nicknames like the rangerettes, and there were times that you didn't maybe felt like you weren't being taken as seriously, or didn't have the confidence given to you from superiors and things like that. And we were just kind of interested in that experience and how you overcame it and how it maybe changed the way that you handled yourself as a park ranger.
2: Yeah, that's a good topic. I So for some context, I started in 1987. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. I sort of, you know, the women's movement had already happened. I, I sort of thought it wasn't a thing anymore. This shouldn't be a thing. You know, I was naive. (laughs) <laughs> so when i go into a male dominated field which is kind of male dominated two ways it's outdoors and it's law enforcement and firefighting you know and search and rescue so when i started to face sexism sometimes i would be like what where is this is dumb why is
0: this happening yeah. <laughs> right
2: <laughs> i you know i would often think it was just stupid and back then You know, my tactic was I fought fire with fire. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that today, that (laughs) strategy, but sometimes that backfired on me, but I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to take it, I'm going to dish it right out, right back. Mm -hmm. And so I would be in uh, people's face a lot if they, you know, they rubbed me the wrong way with this sexism thing. And so in Ranger Confidential, I try to have a little fun with that um, I call it the Ranger Olympics, where we're all trying to win the Ranger Olympics and get gold. And so there's a lot of competition. And so then you add a sexism element in there and then some sexual tension in there. Right. It, yep. <laughs> it, it, it was uh, It was fun and weird and scary and frustrating and sometimes infuriating all at the
1: same time. Did you feel a sense of having to prove yourself just because you are a woman and your abilities and experience, even as you were climbing the ladder of you weren't a rookie forever, but with that being said, do you still feel like people treated you differently because of your gender?
2: Some, some did for sure. Now, a caveat with that is, you know, I married a ranger. I'm still married to him, you know, Mm -hmm. and so most of the men were awesome. I love them. And yep. But there's this segment, you know, that just seems to uh, hold on to some of these old-fashioned values. I did. I did not at first because I was like, "Duh, why is this an issue?" But then later, like at Yosemite, for example, I was pulled into the superintendent's office and told I was a test case that I needed to prove that women can handle working Yosemite Valley, and that was sort of like, what? And so being a test case isn't fun. It is not a good situation to be in because you start to feel like any mistake you make isn't a personal mistake. You've made a mistake for your whole gender. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. It's way too much pressure. He should have never said that to me. He did mean well, but that Mm -hmm. did put a lot of pressure on me. If I fail, I've failed for my entire gender. And that wouldn't happen
0: on the men's side, I'm sure. If you if a man was to make a mistake, it wouldn't be like, oh, we can't hire men. Obviously, right? Yeah, that's so much pressure to be put on just because of your gender.
2: Yes, and I would if any young woman came to me today, I would say, don't fall for it. You know, they <laughs> yeah. can say that all they want, but that's BS. You know, yeah. just do the best you can and. Make as few mistakes as possible, but don't fall for anything like that.
0: Throughout your time uh, working in the Park Service, did you notice more and more women joining?
2: Not really. My understanding is the ratio is about the same it was when I was in the service. Oh, wow. Yes. In law enforcement, I'm not sure about, you know, there's all different types of rangers, but I believe with law enforcement rangers, the ratios are close. They haven't improved much.
0: That's really interesting because I feel like over the years, there's definitely more and more women who are getting into the outdoors. So that's interesting that it hasn't necessarily changed among the like law enforcement side. I know my partner, he has worked as a wildland firefighter for years. And he said kind of the same thing that you're saying where he'll have like one girl that's on the crew or, um, none at all. And it's kind of been a thing, but it's interesting because I feel like over the years, so many more women have been getting outside and doing things like the Appalachian Trail or the PCT and things like that. So that's very interesting. Well, if there's any women out there, go for it.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Uh, There there has been improvements in leadership though. We've had a female chief ranger of Great Smoky Mountains and a female chief ranger of Yellowstone uh, just in the last two years is that they were the first So that's a recent improvement, but that has happened.
0: That's amazing. It's surprising that it's so recent, but that's amazing that it's happening. That's really exciting.
1: So going back to something that Cassie actually brought up A little bit earlier in the conversation. And she was talking about your experiences of things that you've seen within the park. And you mentioned that you've been on the scene of some not so great outcomes. Taking that into account with what we know of your marvelous outdoor expeditions that you've done on your own, like hiking the Appalachian Trail and cycling and kayaking and all of those amazing feats that. You did, you're obviously doing these adventures. It seems like you haven't really been deterred from being a woman in the outdoors, even though you see that things can go wrong. From our perspective, from an outside perspective, it seems like the news is flooded with everything that could go wrong for women in the outdoors alone. And you have said previously that you don't subscribe to the notion that women should not do things outside by themselves can
2: you tell us more about that yes I can it's it's sort of a paradox situation because as a ranger I saw pretty much everything that could go wrong but also because of my experience and my training I also am confident that I can handle it or I'm prepared and so I feel very confident in the outdoors so I realize that's a paradox and so whenever I hear these people, women shouldn't hike alone and women shouldn't be out there it really rubs me the wrong way because I don't believe that's true. And statistically, I'm right. Um, the statistics do not back that up, that it's more unsafe for a woman than it is for a man in the outdoors. Can you tell us more about the statistics of it? Yes. And now statistics are a funny thing. You know, what Mark Twain says is lies, damn lies, and statistics. So there's a lot of nuance to this. And we don't have very good statistics about, you especially with gender and, you know, dividing all that out by activity. But there is an expert, Dr. Robert Coister. He wrote uh, Lost Person Behavior. He's a search expert, PhD. And he looked at some numbers and he says that 80% of search and rescue calls for help are made by men. Now, there's more men in the backcountry, so that might explain that. Now, of those calls, of the men that made those calls, 12% died. Of the women that made those calls, only 9% died. So women statistically actually have a better chance of surviving being lost or injured in the outdoors than a male does. Very interesting. Do you know why that may be? Or do you have any personal insight to that? There's theories. One theory is that men are more risky than women. Another theory kind of along those lines is um, because women are so afraid, you know, we're, we're given this fear porn kind of about don't be out there, that we're more careful because of that. There's a term, they call it the fear gender paradox, where women are more afraid to be outdoors, but we're we're actually less at risk than a male who, who might assume that he's safe.
0: That's really interesting to hear. And I really like hearing that and learning about that because me myself, I really love solo hiking and a lot of just like little day hikes. I love going outside alone. And many times I get, why are you out there by yourself? You shouldn't be out on the mountain alone. Like there are creeps out there. There's weirdos out there. Things can happen. And I'm like- well, no one wants to hike with me and I love being by myself. So it's really nice to hear that it's not as dangerous as people may think. Like a lot of people won't do a day hike alone, a short one or whatever, just because they are a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's
1: something to be said as well about that, because I can tell you, I probably fear being alone in the outdoors just as much as, or less than I fear being alone in a parking garage, going to my car at night as a woman. So. As far as being outdoors, in some ways, I feel more safe by myself in the outdoors versus, you know, I just feel like the chances of something going wrong when it comes to interactions with people are vastly higher in
2: day to day life. The statistics back your intuitive feeling up that you, you, as a woman or a man, you're more at risk in a city environment, much more, like, like up to 10 times more than you are in a wilderness environment. Now, s- solo hiking is a a little bit of a, a caveat. Now, when we solo hike, we are male or female. It's not about gender. It's about the activity and what you're doing mm-hmm. in the situation. And so, you are more at risk of injury, you know, or, or a bad outcome when you're solo. And it yeah. just makes sense. You don't have help, things mm-hmm. like that. One theory is the reason that happens is that when we're alone. We don't have another partner that might say, hey, that looks sketch. Let's not do that. And so we do something stupid like we shortcut. So one tactic we can make when we hike alone so that we are safer is Is pretend we have this uh, real cautious partner on our shoulder. And so we think of something and they'll go, no, that's not safe. Don't do that. Yeah. So that would be one strategy you could use. And that would be backed up by statistics. But remember that it's not about gender. This is about what activity you're doing, your fitness level, the weather, how prepared you are, luck, right? You know, acts of God, you know. So really, we shouldn't, gender is not part of it. And if anything, if it is, a woman is more safe than a male. Now, maybe that will change as more women get out there and we become riskier ourselves because we become more confident, perhaps that might even out.
0: You talked about being prepared and knowing what's going on. What's some advice that you have for women who are going out into the outdoors to be more prepared
2: and more knowledgeable while they're out there? I would look at your Whatever trip, look at it as an expedition. And even if you only do it mentally in your mind, have a safety plan. What am I carrying? What's the weather? How far am I going to be out that day? You know, has there been news lately about a wildfire or a violent person on that area? You know, do some research about it and then look at your activity. For example, if I'm just going to go hiking three hours on a trail that I've been five times, I have no problem. I'm going to go alone. I love being alone. But if I'm going to do a three-day expedition cross-country in the snow, probably not going to do that alone. I'm probably going to work hard <laughs> right. for that. So, you know, do a, have your own little algorithm of when to go alone, how prepared to be, and just look at it like you're a professional. You're going to do something. So you have a plan. Uh, on that, I would like to talk about violence on the trail. Please. Yes, please. Because there is a little bit, another nuance and caveat there. Now, when it becomes, comes to violence women are more at risk of sexual violence mm-hmm. than men but men are more at risk of all other types of violence robbery a fight you know all that men are more at risk for that so it's it's another one of those nuances and then what i found interesting like the appalachian trail for example i looked at the murders on the appalachian trail and I looked at 12 murders on the Appalachian Trail. Five of those were men, the victims, and seven were women. Of the seven women that were murdered, only three of those seven were alone when they were murdered. So what I take from that is being with somebody doesn't necessarily Make protect you safer. You. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: On that Pacific Crest Trail, there's only been one murder that I'm aware of, and it was a male who was murdered, a trail runner. in 1994 that's still unsolved on the PCT it's more accidental deaths so the 14 accidental deaths on the PCT 10 were men four were women there's more men that do the PCT so that might explain it another thing with violence uh my attitude is when I hike solo I'm not really out there to get dates and make friends so I sort (laughs) of I'm nice but I'm not real friendly. And I I feel for the guys, you know, because they're real curious about you. Hey, you know, when they see a woman alone and, and most of it is so benign. And so I just try to, Hey, how you doing? Nice. Sure. And book. I'm just not there to make friends with them and put myself more at risk. And if you're a man listening to this, if a woman who's alone acts unfriendly to you, just Maybe have some compassion and just say to yourself, she's just trying to be safe. Don't take it personally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we don't know who's safe
0: and who's not.
1: Yes. Right. And you know, we've talked about that before. Just like I think we joked a few episodes about like, if either of our partners were alone on the trail, we know that they want to be friendly if they came across us a, a solo female hiker. But those females don't know them. And they're the nicest guys in the world, but to somebody else they could pose a danger or a threat and it's just don't take it personally and I totally subscribe to your sentiment about that I'm not there to make friends I'm there to do my own thing and find my joy for the day good to see you but yeah I'm not looking to have a strike up a new lifelong friendship (laughs) with you and of course that's different for everybody and every circumstance is different but great point yeah don't take it personally if somebody doesn't want to be your best friend.
0: Yeah, I live right off of the long trail in Vermont. And I go out on those trails all the time because I'm really familiar with them. And I go alone. And I don't talk to people. The whole like I'll be like, hey, have a nice hike, you know, like trail etiquette. But besides that, I'm the same way. I'm not mean, but I'm certainly not friendly. And I'm not trying to make friends. And it is because I'm alone. And you just you really never know. I did want to ask,
1: now that you brought up the the PCT versus the Appalachian Trail, we do know that you're working on a new book about some missing hikers from the PCT, three gentlemen in particular, correct? Yes. Yes. I know that you've been working on that for quite a while. Is that coming out this summer? Hopefully, fingers crossed.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping in 2023. Okay. I know a lot of people were excited and waiting for that book, but the publishing industry can move slow. And so we're hopeful at 2023, you'll get to see it. And that is three young men who went missing on the Pacific Crest Trail, and we do not know what happened to them. And this the book is also about the people who are working so hard to try to find them.
1: Yes, and we know that you have... Have a website dedicated to that. And if everybody wants to look up details about the gentleman and the work. Um, that everyone is doing for their cases. And of course, to look out for your book, we'll provide that information. But I just found it very interesting that you chose to do that for your next book, because the news outlets, and I don't know if it's just my algorithms are so tailored to everything that all the bad things that we research and all that. So I just get pushed with a bunch of X, Y, and Z happened to this woman, or this can go wrong to this, you know, if you're a woman in the outdoors and all that, and not to say that it's refreshing, but It is grounding to know that this does happen to other people. And there are men that have gone missing, and we don't know what happened to them. And it is very interesting that there's such a difference between the Appalachian Trail and the PCT, as far as, like you said, with those statistics with murders and violent crimes. Do you know why that is?
2: It is fascinating why so many, there's so many murders on the AT. Now, remember, you're 10 times more likely to get murdered in Chicago than you are on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> least ten times, if not more. Yeah, right. But for some reason, the Appalachian Trail has got a lot more murders associated with it. Where, like I said, on the PCT, there's only one that I know of, and and that was even a, a trail runner who people were breaking into his car on the trailhead. That's the theory, and he mm-hmm. got in a fight with them. And he was killed in that fight. So it's a little bit, you know, it's not really a hiker death per se. So I don't have a good answer for that. But there are, when my book comes out, you'll see there are a lot of shady characters that do hang out on the PCT. Not a lot. There are some, I should say. There's some shady people. So there is obviously a potential there. But for some reason, the AT has just been a, a more brutal trail as far as the number of murders go relative to the PCT
0: circling away from the more dangerous and scary side of the trails do you have a particular excursion or adventure that you've done that has been your favorite experience
2: yeah I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't get to brag about all that I've done yeah I was (laughs) gonna say I want to hear about all of your adventures and I think it's important because most of this I either did alone or with another woman and For the most part, I felt entirely safe. I got like tens of thousands of miles on my feet, right? Amazing. So I did that entire Appalachian Trail Um, Mm -hmm. in 1999. I was the first to bike pack. This is like you're backpacking with your mountain bike. Mm -hmm. The Arizona Trail from Utah to Mexico. Um, I kayaked from Miami to Key West. And I cycled basically from Fairbanks to the Arctic Ocean. Uh, camping all the way most of those were either done by myself or with a woman another woman amazing and the experiences where you know there's some misadventures <laughs> attached to all those things but I rarely felt threatened in any violent way at all so as far as my favorite now that's like trying to get a mother to pick her favorite child or something. (laughs) Jessie with the hard hitting question. Yeah, I know. But I would (laughs) probably have to say the Appalachian Trail, there's just something so enchanting and magical about doing the through hike. Uh, It's it's just a wonderful experience. So if I had to pick, that's what I'm going to pick.
0: Do you think that part of why you picked that one would be the experience with the people that are along that trail? Because there's so many AT hikers.
2: Yeah. I think that's a good question. I, to me, it was even maybe a little crowded for my taste, (laughs) but, but it's hard to explain. There's, it's like a, it's a pilgrimage. So there's almost a spiritual community thing that's happening along with the nature, seeing the seasons change. Mm -hmm. And it's very much a journey that's unique. And so you're onto something that something about the community and the trail community makes makes that adventure special. I
0: have a few friends who hiked the AT this past year and the year before. And I took in, because we live off of the long trail, we took in some hikers just to like give them a night to sleep and stuff. And just hearing- their adventures and they kind of had similar things to say where it's like we love the trail because of all the friends that we've made and all of the stories and we had a couple of people come to our house and they had met on the long trail and then they became really great friends and hung out with us and it was just like a really magical experience because of
2: the adventures with the people that they met along the way. Yes you do stay friends. I'm, I'm still good friends especially with one person that I hiked that part of the AT with, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you hike alone and then you meet up with people and see them, you know, throughout the journey.
0: Yeah. One of my friends, she did it. And she's like, I didn't realize I was a slow hiker until I got onto the AT. She's like, and I ended up catching up, but she's like, I hung out with the older crowd at the beginning. Cause I couldn't keep up with anyone else. And then she met more people because she finally got faster. And she was like, we were in and out of hiking with certain people along the AT, but it sounds like a really, really cool journey. Obviously you've checked a lot of
1: boxes. I'm sure in your desire for, you know, we say there's a list. We have a list. bucket list of outdoor places we want to see or things we want to do. Cassie's list is about a mile long. What is on yours? What is next? Do you have anything in the works or somewhere you really want to see or an excursion you really want to tackle?
2: Yeah, I really want to see Isle Royale National Park. Mm -hmm. It's one of the least visited national parks. It's an island. And I have written about that park in my book haunted hikes and so i really want to go there and hike and camp. So that that's one that comes to mind first. I do i did hike the milford track in new zealand. It's awesome. I would love to return to new zealand and do some more tramping. They call it there. Tramping. I didn't know that. Did you, Cassie? No.
0: <laughs> yeah, camping. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, in the, the australians because there was australians i was hiking with. And they they call it bushwalks. Bushwalks. Well, so you like to do bushwalks. You know? <laughs> and, you know, we call it through hiking, but they mm-hmm. you know, or backpacking, but they say New the Zealanders say tramping and the Australians say bushwalks.
0: Bushwalks is really funny. I get the I get the uh
2: the Zealand version,
0: but bushwalks is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Isle Royale, we did
1: Cassie covered Isle Royale, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago, yeah. maybe. And we had a lot of people who are like, that's our park, you know, or that's my park because I live up there. And like you said, it's one of the least visited, but man, does it seem beautiful. And I am particularly interested in the wolf and moose studies that they do on that island. So I would love to go for that reason, among others. Every park just has something so unique about it. And that's just the magic of the national park system, whether it's a crown jewel like the Grand Canyon or a smaller historic park. Anything run by the National Park Service we're discovering through our time with researching all this is there's so many layers and so many things to discover and people to meet and it's just been a wild ride.
2: Yeah good for you guys. I'm so glad you put this show together.
0: Thank you. Yeah it's been really interesting like she said because you can go from the national parks or the national historic sites which we're discovering are like these amazing places that I think at overlooked so much and they carry so much history and so many cool things where I'm like, wow, I didn't know that all of these historic parks were on my list, but now I have to go to these places. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot in the national park service that we're learning more and more about all the time. Yep. So
1: as far as a wrap up question, I have one final question for you. And that is, do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement for those who are gaining their confidence in the outdoors? Because you're obviously very experienced and you said you feel very comfortable and very confident in your own abilities while being outside because of that experience and your confidence and your skill. But we have a lot of listeners who have emailed us personally saying, I really want to get into the outdoors. What is a first step or do you have any recommendations? And as far as just getting your feet wet with the outdoors, because it can be intimidating going to big national parks and you see all these through hikers and, you know, people scaling El Cap and can be a little intimidating, but the outdoors are for everybody. We just wanted to ask from the pro if you have any little nuggets of advice.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I'm almost 58, so I can't do all that stuff I used to be able to do. And, (laughs) and so remember just a slow hike in an area near your home where you're, you're or or drawing or journaling or, you know, slow down one thing and really see it. And, uh, study it and look at it and take it in and smell it. And so if you have that attitude and you're a little nervous, so you could just bite off a little thing first and do an hour hike by yourself and then a two hour hike and do trails, you know, near home and you gain confidence that way, slowly, slowly. Another thing is, Find a more experienced person to go with and learn from them. Uh, There's also lots of hiking groups where you can join a hiking group online through Facebook or other platforms and join up with them and do it that way. Before too long, you know that five mile hike is nothing. Now you're ready for a 12 mile one by yourself. So just start slow and build. And don't be ashamed about doing something slow and easy at first, because that's really where you can take in nature, this running through by everything. uh, It's, you know, that's competitive stuff. There's a, there's a value to it, but we don't all have to be enjoying nature that way.
0: I love that. I always joke that I'm a really slow hiker and it's because I like to look at everything on the trail. I'm like, Oh, I love this plant. What's over here. And then I get to the top and a lot of people that I hike with are like, okay, we made it to the top. Let's go back down. I'm like, no, I'll hang out. Like I could hang out up here for two hours. So I love that you said that because I personally am a, I think a very slow hiker. (laughs) And I think that that's great. Just dip your toes in, don't go past your own limits and don't push yourself in ways that is dangerous for yourself.
1: Knowing your physical and mental limits for me, I mean, angels landing, I did everything but the chain section. I couldn't do it. I just mentally (laughs) so nervous and I am very confident in my abilities, but just the psychological, you know, falling type of thing. I was just way too nervous. My fear would have clouded my decisions and my ability, I think if I was to hike out on the chain section. So I just called it a day and waited while my other friend completed it. And I was very happy with that. So just knowing your limits, I think is a great sentiment as well.
2: You just did one of the tactics that we talked about where you had a cautious angel on your shoulders. So you don't have to do that. Yeah. And that kept you safe. It did.
0: You're here to talk about it. So you're safe. And that's right.
2: Listen to your instincts. (laughs) You're doing
1: it
0: again. I'm good. Check.
2: Angels landing half complete. Check. I'm good. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you girls and yeah, get out there and hike ladies. Let's do it. Yes.
0: Yes, thank you so much for talking to us today. This was really fun and very informative too. So thank you very much. And refreshing. And I feel very confident now.
1: I'm the scaredy cat. Cassie is the brave one and I'm more of the nervous Nelly. So after speaking with you and just having a little bit of a confidence boost and a grounding moment. It's nice to have that every once in a while. So thank you very much for coming on with us and sharing your expertise with us and everybody else. And I know that most of our audience, based on our messages, has sent us your book and have read your book, Ranger Confidential. But if anybody hasn't, please go read it because it definitely is a great look into the national park system and the people who save our lives and help us find the best trails and keep
0: us safe. So
1: thank you, Andrea.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for that interview. We really enjoyed talking to Andrea and speaking with her about her experiences and her
0: advice. It was such a fun episode to do. And we love doing these People of the Park episodes. And we're excited because we're doing another episode that we love to do. And that's another Trail Tales. It's coming out on Thursday. We'll see you one more time this week. In the meantime, enjoy the view. But watch your back. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us again this week. If you have a trail tale you'd like to share, send us an email at npadstories at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at National Park After Dark and on Twitter at NPAD Podcast. Become an outsider by joining our Patreon where you'll gain access to monthly bonus stories and exclusive content. And remember, when you support our partners, you're supporting
1: our show. To access our special discount codes along with source information from today's episode, check out the show notes. For information on the show, to shop our merch store, sign up for our newsletter and more, visit npadpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.